and welcome to the Targeted Temperature Management Academy podcast series, or TTM Academy podcast series. My name is Dr. Benjamin Abella. I'm a professor of emergency medicine at the University of Pennsylvania, where I'm the director of the Center for Resuscitation Science. And I've spent the majority of my career studying cardiac arrest, post-arrest care, and teaching on these topics. And I'm very excited to bring this podcast series to you where we will be discussing some of the aspects of post-arrest care and targeted temperature management care with a real eye towards how you can improve your clinical game at your hospital. We want to not fill these podcasts with dense scientific material, but rather really provide useful information that you could apply the next time you have a cardiac arrest patient or the next committee meeting where you're revising your protocols or thinking about ways to improve care. This podcast will cover another very central and important clinical topic, which is post-arrest awakening and neurologic status after cardiac arrest and targeted temperature management. As many of you know, who are clinicians listening to this today, whether you're nurses or physicians or students, you may know that cardiac arrest often leads to brain injury Sometimes that brain injury is transient and patients will make a full recovery. But in many cases, following cardiac arrest, patients are neurologically impaired for days following the arrest event. And we have to wait to see if and when they will wake up and return to function. And, and this poses a real problem for clinicians because the typical scenario is a patient will be in the ICU, they will be treated with targeted temperature management, but they will be comatose and not arousable. And the family will be asking you questions. They will say, hey, uh, uh, physician or nurse, is my loved one going to wake up? Are they going to be severely disabled? And when will they wake up? You may also be getting the questions from administrators saying, you know, this patient's been in this ICU bed for four days, our ICU is full. If they're not gonna wake up, can we come to some consensus about goals of care so that we you know, do not prolong futile care. So these are all real challenges we face on a day-to-day -day basis when taking care of patients after cardiac arrest. Hopefully in this podcast, I will provide some clarity on how we think about the time course of recovery and what we do uh, on a very nuts and bolts level for these patients. So first, I think it's important to point out what the guidelines say. The guidelines that are put out globally around post-arrest care are fairly clear that you cannot use the neurologic exam to decide, make decisions about withdrawal of care for at least three days following cardiac arrest. And they say that if TTM is used, it might actually be much longer. So it might be four or five days. They don't actually tell you how long because this is an evolving story. And this leaves us clinicians in a real quandary. But I'll tell you, I have received phone calls from many hospitals about patient situations where patients had their care withdrawn on day two or day three post-arrest because they had blown and dilated pupils or no gag. That is, the neurologic exam was used to make a withdrawal of care decision. And the most important thing I can share with you on this podcast today is don't do that. The guidelines are quite clear that you have to wait at least three days. I cannot tell you how many people who I have had lovely conversations with following recovery from cardiac arrest who had blown dilated pupils 
uh, for two or three days following arrest. The lack of a gag and the lack of pupillary response are not useful features to help us determine recovery. And that's a problem, but it's just the reality of the situation. So we did a study at Penn looking at our hospital cohorts of post-arrest patients to ask, when do people wake up? You know, what are we going to tell families? What are we going to use to guide our care? And what we found was many patients, the bulk of patients, woke up on days four through six following cardiac arrest. That is, patients had their arrest, they got cooled, they got rewarmed, and it took her a day or two after rewarming for them to show signs of arousal. And by arousal, I mean following commands appropriately, squeezing my hand, opening my, their eyes, a Glasgow motor score of six, meaning they can follow commands willfully. Now, if you think about it, day four to six, that's a long time. And it's uncomfortable because patients are lying there and families are worried and you're feeling the pressure. But it's important because if you withdraw on day two or three, you may have missed a chance for a patient to actually declare themselves and make a full recovery. We've even had patients wake up on days seven or eight or nine, which is somewhat frightening because um, I, I worry that in many cases, we don't wait that long. And, and I don't actually know how long to wait, to be honest with you. But I, what I can tell you is if you want to do state-of-the-art standard care, you want to wait at least three or four days following arrest before you use the clinical exam. And that's supported by recent work. Um, there was just a paper published in the journal Resuscitation in 2018. Uh, the first author, if you like to look these things up, is Liebeck, L-Y-B-E-C-K, et al. in 2018. Um, Liebeck and colleagues looked at the time to arousal and found that many patients had late awakening. Five, day five or later. So their work was consistent with our work at Penn, showing that many patients, you just need to wait that long. So if you needed the newer evidence to support that practice, you can turn to that paper. Now, what are you to do? I mean, waiting five days is really hard, right? You, you're, this is a really uh, difficult clinical situation. So the question is, what other tools can be used? Well, one of the growing understandings is that we can use EEG, electroencephalography, to monitor patients and in many cases help guide prognostication. It's not perfect. The science is still evolving. But I would strongly recommend to any of you listening that if you don't have a neurologist or neurocritical care physician on your targeted temperature management program or protocol committee or code committee, you should. And if you don't have them providing input on how to do brain monitoring, such as EEG post-arrest, you should, because EEG has become very sophisticated, and in many cases, the EEG is one more piece of the puzzle that can help us determine the chance of a good or bad outcome. So for example, if a patient is found on EEG to have status epilepticus, and up to as many as a quarter of all patients have seizures, fall in cardiac arrest, a smaller number of status. And patients with status following resuscitation tend to do very poorly. And that information can be factored into your decision-making even before day six. In other words, it's not definitive, but it's one piece of the puzzle. So EEG is a consideration. I often get asked the question, do you guys do continuous EEG? And the answer is yes, we do. And then I often get an eye roll because at many hospitals, that is just too difficult to obtain, too difficult to mechanize. And I'd say, well, 
Here's the problem. Continuous EEG sounds good, but in reality, it's only as good as how often you read the EEG. And we do not have continuous reading of our EEG. We only get reading two or three times a day. So if you don't have continuous EEG capability, I'm here to tell you that many hospitals do not. Even doing an EEG, performing an EEG and reading an EEG once or twice a day on these patients could be very helpful to help you uh, guide prognostication. If EEG is not obtainable at all, there are other tests. There's something called SSEP, somatosensory evoked potentials. This is a bedside neurologic test. It's basically an electrical nerve conduction test. Uh, again, work with your neurologist at your hospital. They are your friend in this, and, and their input is invaluable to help determine what are the best tools at your hospital to uh, determine prognostic approaches. But I think to leave you with a very practical point, the most important thing all of us can do is dissuade people from withdrawing care within the first three days, at least based on the neurologic exam. And also, uh, it's important for all of us to recognize that we don't know enough yet about the brain, and we need to be humble, and we need to give it time to recover. And it's also important for all of us to recognize that as part of a TTM protocol, we need to avoid early withdrawal because early withdrawal 100% of the time leads to a bad outcome, leads to death. Um, by avoiding early withdrawal, we can have many more survivors of cardiac arrest. And, and so work is ongoing now to look at SSEP, EEG, functional MRI. There's a variety of experimental modalities that may be coming online, and I invite you to stay tuned on all of these. But certainly, uh, with the advent of targeted temperature management, we have the opportunity to have many more survivors if we just give them the time to survive. So hopefully you found this helpful, some thoughts and some new uh, scientific evidence around neuroprognostication, how we do it, what the time scale is. And I just want to end on a clinical story. We uh, recently had a patient who actually took eight days to become arousable and follow commands. Uh, they were in the hospital for another two weeks and appeared to be neurologically impaired. They were what we would call a CPC, or Cerebral Performance Category 3, but then in subsequent weeks at rehab, went on to continue to improve and is now back to a CPC1, which is a full neurologic recovery. So even after discharge from the ICU, there is a recovery that can occur. So I, I think I want to leave you on that note of optimism that we can do better, and hopefully we can have more patients uh, survive cardiac arrest and come back and tell us their stories and enjoy life with their families. So with that, I thank you for your time. Once again, my name is Dr. Benjamin Abella. This concludes our second in the series of the TTM Academy podcasts. If you want to learn more about the educational resources we have at TTM Academy, in the podcast notes, we have a link to our website. We will be posting these podcasts every so often as new science comes out. If you want to be on our mailing list for when podcasts are delivered, there will be information on how to do that also in the show notes to accompany this podcast. Thank you very much. Thank you.